Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start And Jane Netflix will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the Welcome to Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. Novelist Charles Salzberg joins us to discuss his book, Man on the Run. After ending up on the run and heading west, master burglar Francis Hoyt must figure out what he's going to do with the rest of his life. That's when he meets a true young true crime podcaster who happens to be doing a series on him and a mysterious attorney who makes Hoyt an offer he can't refuse. Find out more about Men on the Run by Charles Salzberg on this episode of Book Talk with Fran Lewis. Good morning and how are you and welcome to my show. Thanks, Fran. Good morning to you and thanks again for having me. I, I love your show. I love doing your show. I'm so glad and I love having you and I love having you on my panels. So, Francis Hoyt, I love this guy, and Dakota, the new character that you created. I like her, too. She's, you know, he's, he met his match. How did you create the first interaction that starts the plot, and why didn't she know who he was? Well, it starts off with um, with her coming at early morning, and it's in L.A., and she's coming out of a uh, coffee shop with coffee, um, getting ready to go on a morning run. And this guy approaches her, someone she's never seen before. Mm. And um, it's a little bit of a a, a mysterious stalking situation. Mm -hmm. But um, the reason she doesn't know, even though she's doing a a series on him, is there are very few photographs of him. He's only been um, arrested once. Uh, and they have a mugshot of him, but that was um, like 15 years before this takes place. So mm. she has no idea who he is, um, and he knows who he, she is um, because he finds out that she's doing this um, series on her for his uh, for her podcast. <clears throat> and so that's how I got. And that was the um, that was the first image I got of the book um, was. Uh, once I decided to have another character who was a true crime podcaster, um, this image of him stalking her for whatever reason um, just popped into my head, and that's the first chapter. Well, how does she? I wonder what how did she learn that he was a dangerous man, and who does he compare him to? I mean, how does she find out just how dangerous Francis White is? But you got to love well, her. Sorry. Oh, well, the reason is that a little bit about her history. She's um, in her yeah. probably mid-30s, and she was a journalism student um, at uh, Newhouse, which is where I actually taught. Um, mm. And she uh, got a job on a Albany newspaper. And as with uh, a lot of young journalists who start out, they put them on the, uh, I'm not going to say the worst, but the toughest beat. And so she was put on the crime beat. And she 
found that she really liked it. She liked, um, mm. you know, covering crimes and covering, covering criminals. And so um, she got into that world. And eventually she works her way up and she gets a job uh, at the San Francisco newspaper where, again, she's uh, assigned to the um, crime beat. But um, as with all newspapers now, there, a lot of them are going out of business or downsizing or going mostly online, and she is um, fired or laid off with a bunch of others. And the only thing she really knows how to do is to, um, is, is to report, to write. And she realizes that one of the things she can do um, and hopefully make some money at it is start a true crime podcast which are just starting to become extremely um, popular. And, um, and so that's why she knows about him, because she's immersed in the, in the world of crime for years. And he's, he's quite um, legendary um, because of his ability as a burglar. And he's a really good burglar from Second Story, man. We know that. <clears throat> yes, he's so, a very good so burglar. So an, interv- an interview with him... Would really boost her career, right? Exactly. Would really exactly. Send, send her flying. So why the analogy to fishing? I thought that was really cool. <clears throat> well, it's because you 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 throw your you know uh, a friend of mine, my friend, a good friend of mine, a, a fellow writer, mm. Roy Hoffman. His father was a lawyer, <clears throat> and his mm-hmm. um, and he was in his. He, he lived to about 95, and I met him when he was in his 80s. And he was one of these southern lawyers who always had these great sayings. And Roy and I were young journalists and, and mm. um, you know, struggling to make it. And his father once said to us, you know, you can't catch a fish unless you throw your line in the water, mm-hmm. which was meaning, you know, go out and try. And so those are, I, I never forgot that um, little saying and that analogy to fishing is, you go, you throw your line in the water, you, you bait the hook the best you can, and you'd hope that a fish comes around and, and bites and that you can catch the fish. That That is so cool. I was never allowed to go fishing. I always wanted to go. <laughs> I, I but, hated but, fishing. I've got a funny story for you, Fran. Years ago, when, when I was a nonfiction, a journalist, uh, mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of nonfiction books. And my agent approached me and said, would you like to do a book with this guy? Um, his name is Charlie Moore, and he's known as the Mad Fisherman. He's based mm. up in Boston. And I said, well, I don't know anything about fishing. He said, well, why don't you meet him? So I met him, and he liked me, and he asked me to do the book with him. And I said, I'll do it on two, uh, you know, two. The, the only way I'll do it is if I don't have to go fishing with you and I don't have to touch a live fish. <laughs> and I didn't. So I did the whole book with him. It's called The Mad Fisherman. And um, knowing nothing about it, the first thing I asked him, I remember, he, he had this TV show where he would mm-hmm. take someone, usually a, a famous athlete, out fishing with him, and they would have a contest to see who caught the most fish. So I said to him, you know, I don't know anything about fishing. They would catch the fish, and then they would throw it back. You know, it was, it was all about the sport mm-hmm. of, of catching it. So I said to him, uh, Charlie, how do I know you're not catching the same fish over and over again? You keep putting yeah. it, you know, back in the in the water. He said you don't. <laughs> so um, you know, so it was a fun book for me to do. Uh, I did not have to touch a live fish, and I did not go fishing with him, uh, which I would find very boring. But I, I know people 
who just swear by it, Fran. They just love mm-hmm. going out there. I have a student, uh, a man in his, um, you know, now he's, I think in his early 80s, and he, he still fishes. And um, there's something, I think it's something very um, relaxing about getting out there by yourself. And, and one of my good writer friends, Matt Goldman, um, is a fisherman too. He goes out and does uh, fly fishing, I think. So there may be something to it, but it's not for me. It's much too sedentary for me. No, it's not for me either. I won't ask you. Won't tell you what I was asked to hunt. Seriously, <laughs> my nephew likes frogs and snakes. <laughs> and for a true story, real fast, he went and he um, accidentally washed his frog with water and ivory snow, and this frog died. <laughs> and I had oh, to boy. go in the woods and get him with him to get another one. So getting the frog and picking up the frog was okay, but getting skunk was no fun. And I did. <laughs> Twice get skunked. Mm-hmm. And I said, next time, Jason, take somebody else. <laughs> and he <laughs> still goes in and gets frogs. So why true crime, and how does she create a podcast? How does she gather <clears throat> information? Because she's really good. Well... You know, I, I knew nothing about podcasting till um, <clears throat> till the uh, pandemic, and I got hooked on these podcasts. Most of them true crime, not all of them, and I really became a fan of them because I realized that a lot of journalism goes into these. These are not, you know, just someone who um, decides to talk about crime. <clears throat> these people. Um, they they delve into they do reporting they do first rate reporting and some of the podcasts mm. are um, there actually are reporters who um, now become podcasting because it's evidently it's become quite um, lucrative or can be yeah. uh, and almost every the New York Times has a podcast serial is is um, was the big one that, that um, but almost all the newspapers and a lot of the Canadian <clears throat> Canadian broadcasting has some really good podcasts. So there are thousands of them, really. And um, I got hooked, and I needed another character. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to do a um, the, the, the sort of the modern version of um, journalism, which is this true crime podcasting. And I listened, and but I knew nothing about it. So I was listening to one of these podcasts called Murder in Oregon, mm. and I liked it. And I, um, you know, they had the name of the person who produces it and, and usually narrates it as well. And uh, there was this woman who did that podcast called, uh, she, her name is Lauren Bright Pacheco. And I just emailed her. And I said, I'm doing this book, but I know nothing about podcasting. I don't know how to set one up. I don't know what equipment you would need. I don't know how to produce one. And I don't know how you can make money on one. Mm. And so she um, she said she would be happy to help me. And she um, I sent her a whole list of questions, and she answered them, and we spoke on the phone. And she gave me um, what was really a a, a, you know, a course in podcasting. And so I learned, A, I learned that it's possible to do it. You can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You need a couple of other people to, to yeah, help. This right. is what you've done for years. Um, you usually need a producer and you need uh, someone to edit stuff. Um, but you can do it on a, on a shoestring. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And there are these platforms, like you're on a platform. And so once I saw that it was doable, that I could have her do it and just have her 
need two other people, and they could be part-time, um, I realized that, I, that she could pull it off, that anyone can pull it off. Um, I mean, listen, you've done this. How many years have you done this now, Fran, the podcast? I've done it 10 years, but the weirdest thing happened. I'm so glad you said that about having a person. My nephew is very, very brilliant, and he's been listening to my shows. And the reason why I sounded so great starting it today is because my nephew created a new platform for me. <laughs> he put me uh, on Spotify. My, he put my uh-huh. podcast on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, YouTube, everywhere. And he even created a new name for the show, Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. And he created the opening that I read. So, and he's doing it for me because I'm yeah. his aunt. Right, so you you see how you really I mean, you if you want to do it yeah. right, you really do need need help like that, and those, yeah, those are the things that most of us wouldn't think me. about. Yeah, mm-hmm. because sometimes when I post something, I don't realize that there's a, a typo or something. So, he, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, there was a sound problem, and he fixed that too. And it's, he's just doing it because I'm his aunt, which I think is great. Right. Because, <clears> right. So, uh, Francis, and, and it's I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go on. Go on. I was just going to say that the when you're when you're a a, a reporting a journalist doing this yeah. you go on yeah. you, you you take your your microphone and you travel with it you go on you know uh, you have to go interview people whereas we're doing this on the phone so it can be a much mm-hmm. more active thing too because mm-hmm. they really are being a reporter um you know they're they're taping conversations and doing all this stuff yeah. and all that stuff has to be edited you, you know, you can't just let it go on and on. Um, this stuff that's in, that you've taped that is important and usable, and there's a lot that's not. So a lot more goes into to those kind of shows um, as opposed to the talk radio where we're speaking. I, I don't know if you do any editing of this at, at all, but, but the other shows are ed- closely edited, and, and most of the people who are doing the, the narration or the interviewing aren't either can't or won't do the editing. So you do need someone else to, to help. Yeah, he is. He, as a matter of fact, he cleaned up some of the sound problems that I had on something that I didn't even realize I had. And he's been doing my promotions. He did the one for your show. He created the logo and everything. And then he's doing the one for next, the two for next week, too. And it's great because he does it better than me. I do. Right. And I don't, I don't know if people... It may be too much information, but you name there are lots of platforms to be on. Um, I usually yeah. listen to Spotify, or um, so, and someone's got to put your show on those platforms so people yeah. can can hear the stuff. Um, so there, it, it got it was a lot more complicated and, uh, and and in a way interesting than I thought until I got into it to to research it for the book. The reason I'm doing this is because before my sister died. I weighed 200 and some odd pounds. I really did. Oh, my God. I've seen yeah. you. you. I can't imagine you at 200 pounds. I know. I'm 100 pounds. You're this tiny little thing. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm likeling a little. And she said to me, you're a couch potato. I said, you're going to be sorry that you said that. She said, well, why don't you write a book? So I did. I wrote a book about growing up with her in the South Bronx. And then April Robbins, who had was in charge of Red River Radio, asked me to read a chapter of my book. And after that, it just I decided to go on my own after doing a few other things. So, yeah, you just never know. Now, Francis, who I love, is a master burglar. But how did stealing a simple truck start the whole crime scene off? And what did he realize about himself? 
Well, in this book, and I do it in a little of the other book too, um, is I, I like, you know, people, people don't just sprout up as an adult and are who they are. They have a past that, that shapes them. And um, so I, uh, it, sometimes you don't, as a writer, you don't need to have the past in the actual mm. book. But, but as a writer, you have to know his past. And mm. I imagined him as growing up in a, with an abusive father, a drunk, who um, beat him and beat his mother. And he has a sister. And so um, he, uh, he, he's shaped by that. And he's not that good in school. He's smart, but he doesn't like school. And so he plays mm-hmm. hooky. And he starts to steal things because stealing things gives him a power, <clears throat> kind of like a superpower. And mm-hmm. he realizes that he feels more alive after he's stolen something. And he's good at it. And what you're alluding to is kind of his freedom day is one day is a I forget how maybe he's fourteen or fifteen he's he doesn't he doesn't have a license so he's too young to to have a license and he steals his father's truck pickup truck mm. and he joyrides with it and then he purposely as an act of aggression drives the the truck into a ditch so that it's you know Kind of not totally destroyed, but but it can't be used by the father, and that's his way of of getting back at the father for all those years of abuse, and it really frees him um, a little bit to go on the path that he goes on, which is to um, to be the best. Um, he's you know a, a lot of people like that, Brian, as you know, have inferiority complexes, and so they have to prove themselves all the time mm-hmm. that they're the best. And that's, that's right. what drives, yeah, that's what drives Francis Hoyt is this sense that deep down he doesn't feel as good as everyone else. Um, so he has to prove it all the time, that he's better. So it is that, you're right, that's a, that's a big deal for him to do that, uh, to steal that truck and then destroy it. <laughs> I actually clapped my hands when he destroyed it. <laughs> I thought, I actually said, you know, there are so many people in the world, and I know how it feels, that, you know, you're never good enough or whatever. And then when you prove yourself, yeah, well, you know what, good for you. So how did you create the scenes with the fences? And in the present, how does she start up her podcast? Well, the fences, you know, every every good thief needs a fence, someone to, to yeah. take the, um, the whatever you're stealing and to sell it and give you money for it, to, to essentially a middleman and mm-hmm. so Francis has a, a regular fence um, in on the East Coast in, in Miami and the first book actually starts off with a scene with that fence mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, but now that he's he's on the run he's a fugitive now um, he's run away for he's walked away from a court date from an arraignment um, and he is now um, on the loose and so he can't stay on the on the East Coast He's too well known there, so he has to relocate, and he decides to um, relocate to the to the West Coast. And of course, if he's going to continue his life of crime of stealing stuff, then he's going to need a, a new fence. He's got to have someone on the West Coast, and so he gets a reference, like any other kind of business, and he um, hooks up with a new fence 
on the West Coast, and that's a sort of a fateful um, m- meeting of the minds there mm. because that sets off um, a, a plot point um, of, you know, there, there are essentially two plot points. One is this relationship with the podcaster, Dakota, mm-hmm. and the other one is a, a, a job that he's, hired, that he's convinced to do and hired to do. And I don't know. Should should we even get what, into what that is, Fran? Is that given away? Is, I, I don't think that? we want people to know, but I will tell everybody okay. that at the end of the show, if you're listening and you would like a, a special giveaway a copy of the book because you listened, you better let me know because we got a lot of people listening. Right. I'm going to sign a copy and send it out whenever whenever you choose the winner. I will be very selective, people. Just can't be everybody. Mm. So, where am I here? Um, Dakota, how did she? Well, how did you use your interest in true crime stories in the plot, and how would you describe Hoyt's mindset? God, I love this guy. Um, well, as I said, I, I well, I, I've, we've talked about this before on different shows, yeah. Fran. You know, on the panel shows, I, I'm someone who doesn't plot out a, a book. I don't, um, I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I create, um, usually for me, it's, it's either a scene or a character. And once I chose um, the character of a, of a podcaster, um, I, it, it, it just came to me that what if, mm-hmm. and, and that's what all writers do, I think. They ask yeah. themselves that question, what if? What if uh, a, a podcaster decided to do um, a show based around uh, a series based around Hoyt. <clears throat> and what if he found out? And the way he finds out, it's not a, a secret really. She's interviewed for a newspaper story, and they ask her, obviously, mm-hmm. what's the next thing you're going to do? And <clears throat> she says, and he finds out. <clears throat> and I asked myself, well, what would he do if he found out? What, mm. what, would, what would his reaction be? And I didn't quite know when I said that to myself, but I thought knowing Hoyt, and writers, you know, you you really can't write unless you know your character really well. I thought, well, first of all, he'd be kind of flattered. And he, but most of, most of that it would be, is he'd want control of it. You know, Mm. he would want it, he would want it to come out the way he wanted it to come out, and he would want it to present him in the way that he wanted it presented. So he would probably try to find this podcaster and in some way hope to influence her. But it's not, that's never stated in the book. You're not sure why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, no. Uh, and she's not sure why he's doing what he's doing. So here you have two people. One, he wants to control the situation. And two, as you said, you know, very rightly earlier, if she could get him on the show if she could get an interview with him it would it would send it you know through the roof you know because no one really knows where he is and no one can find him so um you have these two characters who want and need each other for, for certain reasons but they're on different paths they want different things and that's sort of what you, you want as a, a novelist or a short story writer, is you want mm. characters who um, are roadblocks for each other. 
you know, and this, this happens all the time in real life is, you know, I want something, you want something, and maybe we come to a compromise or maybe we don't. But um, so that's, that's essentially what the, the situation is. And then more than halfway through the book, I bring in another character who was yes. in uh, Second Story Man uh, as, as part of the, this, this sort of triangle of all these three people. They each want something from the other. And um, that causes friction, and that causes conflict, and that's what you want in a in any story, is conflict. Well, I took out the question as to what kind of job it was and who was going to whatever, because that would give it away. Because how does right, he plan right. for a job? Because I I don't want that. But the person that is is Charlie Floyd, right? You brought him back. Is yes, that the one? Yes. I, I yes, like Charlie, Charlie Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. So why yeah, do all a, of the characters every all the characters insist on rules? But Floyd, uh, but he, which Francis White says it's my rules. That's it. Well, deep down, all these characters have something in common, and that is that they're all um, they're all ambitious, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, and they all. Um, they they all want to they want something badly and mm-hmm. they're willing to go maybe the extra mile to get that um and so i thought well if i put three characters like that charlie floyd is obsessed with catching um Hoyt. that's yeah. you know in the earlier book he's tried so we know what he wants um she dakota wants to be a successful podcaster. You know, she wants to make a living at it. She's a really good reporter, and so she wants to get the story. And Hoyt, you're never quite sure what he wants, but he wants control over whatever it is. Um, And that's part of the mystery of the book is why is he doing this? What's in it for him? And it may be just that he likes toying around with people, you know, and he likes to control them uh, because he's a control freak. Um, but to a certain extent, they they all have that that same yeah. uh, that yeah. same thing, and it's not necessarily bad. It's how you use it, you know. So she she's a um, she's ambitious, but but she's also really good at what she does. And but then the question becomes, how far will she go to get what she wants? We know how far Hoyt will go. You know, I, there, there's no limit to what he will do to get what he wants. We're not so sure what the limits are on Charlie Floyd, how far he will go. Um, mm. So when you've got three characters like that and you just put them in the, you know, in the stew and then you just see what happens to them. And um, the, uh, you're right, I don't want to give too much about away, but I will give the, the remember, he's, he's someone who has to perform. So That's he's right. looking for something to do, um, you know, and, and he's mastered breaking into houses. So he's approached by a, um, a, a, a kind of a shady, mysterious mm-hmm. lawyer who wants to hire him to do a job. And I won't say what the job is. Yeah, that's why, that's that's why I raised the, the question. I don't want right, to have a right. spoiler here. Right. I, uh, but, but the job, uh, and when someone reads it, they'll find out, and, um, is based on a true, uh, a, a true situation. Mm. Um, I didn't make that up. Uh, it actually happened in um, 
another time and another place. But he's hired to do this job, which is a challenge for him, um, and that's what he needs. And, of course, things don't go always the way he wants them to go because the more – I'm sure you've seen mm. this with, with people, Fran. You know enough people. The more you try to control something, the more out of control it gets yes. um, because there are certain things you can't control. Um, and so controlling people are often frustrated people because they will find that they can't control everything. No one can. Tell that to a few people I know. I well, say who. Oh, people we all know. And I, I know yeah. someone who had um, a father, and, and this is probably not that an, uh, unusual, wealthy father who tried to control his kids by you're in the will, you're out of the will, you're in the will, you're out of the will. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and, and it doesn't work. It, it can work for a while, but... It, it doesn't work. You can't control people like that. Um, so, so anyway, so that's the situation. When you get people who who need mm. to control things and they they can't, you've got drama, and that's what you want as a novelist or as a screenwriter or anything. Um, is you want you want drama. Well, between Hoyt and Dakota, Hoyt is afraid of getting caught. Dakota allows him a lot, much latitude, but you know she's playing him. He's got OCD for sure, and he claims he's dyslexic and has a photographic memory. I have a photographic memory, but thank God I'm not dyslexic. So how does he use all three to his advantage? Well, he... The, the, the OCD kind of... I mean, he may have it, you know, may have a, a bad case of it or not, but... He, yeah. But the whole thing about control is he he plans everything meticulously, and he plans, uh, and this is why he's so good. He not only plans things, but he tries to figure out how they can go wrong, and allow for that. So, for instance, when he is going to rob something, he will find two or three or four ways to leave the scene of the crime. Not just one way. He'll do mm. like three or four, and he'll go over it and over it, over and over again. <clears throat> and he will, um, he thinks of, of pretty much everything. He will shave his body before a, um, uh, a job because he doesn't want to leave any hairs. He doesn't mm. want to, and he will, call, of course, cover everything so he doesn't um, leave any DNA. <clears throat> and so... That's where his OCD-ishness comes in handy is he is, wants to look at every possible angle of what can go wrong. And if he knows that um, and he does that, he finds out all those things successfully, he will um, have more of a chance of success. That's amazing. So who is Derek and why do we get a feeling that I don't like him? Derek, the other thing that, that Francis is, he's a user of people. Mm. He collects people for his own use, and he has a lot of these people. <clears throat> he calls them patsies. And um, the, Derek is someone, he needs, he needs a fall guy for whatever he's going to do, someone to take the blame. Yeah. So he's a really good um, judge of character. And he can spot people's weaknesses from a mile away. And so he trolls 
clubs looking for the right kind of person that, and you're not even sure as the reader why he needs this person, but he knows. And so he finds this guy, Derek, who is someone he can manipulate and use as a patsy. <clears throat> and and it, it's funny, when I was writing it, I kept thinking, I, I'm sort of like a lot of people. Uh, I know Dick Belsky is. We're, we're sort of, we're sort of um, fascinated by the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. And Dick even wrote a book using that. And um, Dick and I were down in, um, in, in Dallas a few years ago for BoucherCon, and we, we, we went to the um, Texas Book Depository, which is now kind of a museum. <clears throat> but one of the claims was that um, Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy. In other words, he was set up to take the fall for, mm. um, for the Kennedy assassination. That's one of the theories. And so that's where I got the idea of having a patsy, is you need someone who will take the fall, you know, take the heat off you. He will be blamed. And I can't, I can't tell you why he needs him, because that gives away what the, what the other crime is. So I want to be a little mysterious about what, right, uh, of how he's going to use him. But, but you're right. He, he, and Derek is, he's a, a slimy, you know, um, subhuman kind of character. But, the, yeah. but he's the kind of character that you can control because Francis, one of the things about Francis is he is an ex, excellent expert um, judge of character. He can see people's um, character and he can see their shortcoming. And he will um, he will use that against them, and so he sees how um, how to manipulate. He's a manipulator. I mean, that's what he is. That's what he does. And he sees how he can manipulate Derek. So your feeling about Derek is is good for me to hear because that's why I want people to think of him. Is he's you know he's he's a lower form of human being in a way. See, I got that. I'm getting impressed with myself yep. today. Now, before I forget, next Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, Robert Dagoni takes center stage with her deadly game. On the 26th at 10 a.m. Eastern, Don Bentley is coming on with the Matt Drake series, Forgotten War. On the 1st, a very dramatic and sad, really sad this is going to be a really sad interview. Um, Maya Oba was constricted to sold by her father into slavery and marriage at 16. And what she went through, I wouldn't wish on anyone, and she's going to tell her story. On the third, somebody that you know and love, Patrick Moore, will be here with 27 Days. And on the eighth, the author of Liquid Shades of Blue. On the 16th, Alan Zendransky. On the 17th, David Putnam. On the 18th, FBI agent Mark Bowden. And then 22nd, DP Lyle with Cultured. And that's just some of me. The reason I didn't announce all of them is because some of the books didn't come. So, Charlie Floyd, he's trying to get Dakota on his side. So what does he tell her about Hoyt? And why does he want to handle cold cases, Charlie? Got to watch out for this guy, people. Well, Charlie is... um He's a now-retired Connecticut State investigator, and he teamed up with, uh, in the earlier book, he he teamed up with um, a Miami uh, uh, detective, a 
cop, a Cuban-American named Manny Perez, and they team up to try to get <clears throat> to catch Floyd, I mean to catch Hoyt. And so he, he is, the, the way he gets into this story is that, remember, she's doing this, this series about Hoyt, and so mm-hmm. she's going to interview various people. And one of the people she wants to interview is Charlie Floyd because she knows his relationship to, um, mm. to, to Hoyt. And Floyd lives in Connecticut, and he's retired, and he's kind of bored, actually. You know, it's golfing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He, he's 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 divorced and he's 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 kind of at uh, he's he's a little bored, and so he's he says yes to an interview with uh, Dakota, and she and her friend, who is her producer, Mark, go travel out to um, to Connecticut, first New York and then Connecticut, to interview Charlie Floyd, and she does not tell him. That she has, um, she's met Hoyt several times, and mm. that she's sort of um, doing this little dance with him back and forth about being on the show. But he's a really smart guy, and he starts to suspect that she knows something about what Hoyt is doing now and where he, where Hoyt is. And I don't want to say more than that, but that's the relation. No. That's how Charlie Floyd comes into the story, and it doesn't come in till about two thirds of the way through the book. Mm-hmm. But that's how he becomes part of this this strange triangle. Well, Hoyt does something that really surprises her, and that changes everything. For and then Charlie comes into it, so she she realizes something that Hoyt did. And she's not happy, is she? Right. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because this has to do with um, one of the one of the ways that you can control people or try mm-hmm. to is to keep them off balance. Mm-hmm. Is to ne- never let them know exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, and to throw you off. And so he does something while Dakota is gone that he mm-hmm. does. Uh, just to throw her off because and he does something that he's good at but it's it's not totally out of character because one of the you know years and years ago uh, I was um home a- a- alone I was living alone and I was in an apartment in a really good neighborhood and I was home in the afternoon well I was home most of the day cuz I was a freelance writer and I I had a cold and um I was taking a nap and I used to go downstairs. It was a walk up. I'd walk downstairs and get the mail. And so it was a really safe neighborhood. So I didn't double lock my door. And um, I'm there, as I'm sort of napping, and I hear something. And I wake up, and there's a burglar in the apartment. Hmm. And um, he actually tied me up, you know, and he looked around and you know took stuff, and then he left. But it, and I was fine while he was there, but but once he left, it, I really had a tough time because oh, God. It's, it's a it's a sense of violation, and yeah. that's that's the thing that I learned from that situation is there's someone in your apartment in your house or whatever that hasn't been invited, that's going through your things, 
that you know that that no one else does. I mean, you know, you have friends over; they don't go through your closet looking for stuff. <clears throat> seeing how, as a matter of fact, he said to me, um, "What you, you got a lot of books here?" And I said, "Oh, I'm a writer." And he said, "Oh, I like writers." You know, this is while I'm lying there tied up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got this sense of violation, and it's probably a small version of what a woman feels like when she's raped. I mean, there's this violent thing, but it's also this violation. Someone is doing something to you, or even, even you know, grabbed or something like that. Mm. It's, it's a violation. And so he knows this. And so on, in some instances, he will break into places and not even take anything, move things around, um, drop things. He does it just to let you know that he's He's someone is in your space that's not supposed to be there, and is is in a way violating you. And so, and Hoyt knows this. He knows how to get to people. And so, I'm not going to say what he does to her, but no. it's it's kind of what you're talking about. Is it's a it's a tactic, and it does change the relationship between them, and um, the balance of power between them too. It's scary. I lived on the top floor of a building in the in the Bronx when I grew up, and I have to tell you, there were people that I was on the top floor on a terrace, and somebody was on the terrace trying to break in, and I called the police. We were lucky. It's a horrifying feeling, in. isn't it? Yeah, it's scary, and it happened a lot in that building, which is why I moved. So tell us about Mark and how you created the final scenes. Um. Well, Mark is someone that she meets. Um, he's a writer, uh, a novelist, and and she meets him at a, a in a bookstore, and she befriends him. And they they don't they don't date, but they become best friends. And when she needs help, um, she goes to Mark, who is working on a book, but he has plenty of time, and so he becomes her producer. Um, mm. And and so it's a a friendship and a working relationship. And um, so that's there. And so he's not in the book a lot, but no. he's in the, like the last third of the book. He, he, he plays a part in it um, because he travels to New York with her to, um, to do some interviews. And he actually, as a producer, also when she's going up to Connecticut to um, interview um, Charlie Floyd, he goes out to New Jersey to interview some other people who've had um, a, a relationship with, in some way, with um, with Hoyt. So he's uh, kind of her researcher and producer, and 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 probably best friend. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a hint of maybe sparks between them at some point, you know, maybe in the future, maybe in the past. But but they're mm. right, really just best friends now. And um, and so the last, uh, the, the last. You know, one of the things that um, that I uh, uh, that I like to do is uh, I like to write about places that I don't know really well or haven't mm-hmm. been, and so part of this takes place in um, in L.A. Uh, a good part, most of it takes place in L.A. And I'm familiar with L.A., but not as much as I I, I have friends there who. Um, who have lived there for years. And so I, in this particular case, um, I needed to uh, have uh, certain 
settings, certain places. Mm. And so I would call up a friend and I'd say, look, if I wanted to abandon a car, where would I abandon a car? Or if I <laughs> wanted to do this or, or that. And then the, 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 ult- the, the last part of the book takes place in, um, in Santa Barbara. And uh, I've been to Santa Barbara once, but I don't know it well. <clears throat> but I needed a setting. And so I, you, know, you go to Google and I found a park near the water, and, mm. um, you know, you could, with Google Earth, you can see exactly what it looks like, where things are, and so the, the last part of the book, the last scenes in the book, take place in a, uh, a place that, I've, that I was never there. I was never really there, but I researched it. Um, so. That's am- I'll tell you, the scariest thing was um, we had a green car and, a long time ago, and the police from the 52nd Precinct in the Bronx called me and said, did you know that your car was stolen? And no, I didn't. He says, why didn't you call us to find out where it is? It was in their neighborhood under a train station. It was really scary. Oh. <clears throat> and, I, it, and they said they returned the car and we gave it away that same day. I wouldn't go back in it. It was like really weird. So what you know, you have thing? to explain to people who don't live in New yeah. York, Fran, how that can happen in the sense that New Yorkers have cars, but they don't necessarily use them every yeah, day. Yeah, it's scary. You might, you, you, might not, you, you might not use a car for four days or even a week, you know, unless you have to change the sides of the, of the street to park it, as my father used to. So it's not so unusual that you wouldn't know that your car got stolen uh, unless that, you were using it every it day. It was in the middle of the night, and my husband was working um, in a company where we had to be there at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. And he said, like, where's my car? I said, you're not going anywhere. I was like, holy God, you've got to be kidding me. And we lived in a pretty safe neighborhood, but obviously a lot of people were complaining that cars were stolen. And they finally did figure out how it was happening. <clears throat> but the police didn't really care. So what lessons does she come away with, and why the ending and is she done with him? Um, I'm not going to give away the ending. No, don't. It's, it's, it's a surprise. Um, is she done with him? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I had no um, idea that I was going to... I don't call this a sequel to Second Story Man. I, I call it mm-hmm. a continuation. And I yeah. thought I was never going to write another book with, with um, Hoyt in it. Um, and I, I, when I finished this one, I thought, I'll never write another one. But the other night... Someone said to me, you know, my friend Tom Straw, he said, ah, I know what the, what the sequel to this one could be. So, and I knew what he was kind of talking about. Um, it, it, I could see what it would be, but I didn't plan it, and I don't know if I'll ever do it. And the only reason I did this is I started to become a little, when I, was look, when I finished Canary in the Coal Mine, and I knew I was going to write mm. another book, I didn't know what I was going to write, but I kept thinking about, Oh, what, I wonder what happens to Francis Hoyt after the end of Second Story Man. And because I kept asking myself that question, I thought, well, maybe it's worth trying to find out. So I could see where where Tom was was what, what he was getting at into what another another Hoyt book could be. Um, I, I'm I'm someone who doesn't like to push things too much, but I might uh, you know I might write him again because he's an interesting character to write because he's complicated and interesting and um, kind of compelling in a, in a, in a, in a sort of a, a disgusting way, because he's not a good person. Uh, you know, he doesn't do good things. He's not a Robin Hood, that's for sure. 
No, but I would be wondering, what about writing a book just for Dakota and Charlie, or giving her her yeah. own show with Could a podcast? They, you know, yeah, you know what what writers do, and you 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 know you're close to a lot of writers and, and interview a lot of them is. We create mm-hmm. worlds uh, that are populated, and sometimes if we have a small character and we're interested in that, we can spin off, um, you know, it's kind of what, what Faulkner did with his um, mm-hmm. county down in, in Mississippi. He, you know, it's populated by a lot of people. So do you know a lot of authors who create a world and then spin off um, other books from, from you know, with, yeah. with minor yeah. characters in that world, friend? Yeah, I figured yeah, you do since you interviewed so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of nice because you know you've created a community when you're a writer, and sometimes these these characters stay with you. So I would never say no, but um, right now I'm working on an entirely different book, so um, it wouldn't be the next one. Now, what bothers me sometimes when they do that is that they steal the idea from somebody else, and I'm just I read the book and I go like, wait a minute, this is not the new character. This is somebody. In a different book with a different name, and then I say like, "Oh God, why am I reading this?" Seriously. Mm-hmm. And then the other the other thing is that um, you're going to be on a panel May 11th, and we're going yes. to talk about this. We're going to talk about characters, but we're going to talk about questions. I just did a thing with my reading professor. I was very proud of myself last week. We talked about questioning skills for teachers, grades K to 12. People should really listen, because. We really did a great job explaining the type of questions people should ask. So we're going to ask that on May 11th. The type of questions that when you interview somebody, what do you want? To, what type of questions do people want to answer? What type of questions are superfluous? And what kind of questions let you know that the person actually read the book? Because I will never ask a person why'd you write it because I don't care. I want to know deeper things. So that we're going to talk about that on May 11th. You and a whole bunch of other people. I have no idea how many people they're going to be. Well, you never know with me. <clears throat> so what's next? What's the next book that you're writing that I don't know about? Well, I, I, I like to write about things that that interest me or perplex me or um, <clears throat> I, I want to find out more about. And so I've always mm-hmm. been interested in um, ESP, you know, mm-hmm. the extrasensory oh, yeah, perception. Nice. And so I thought, what if, what if I had a character who had ESP or a form of it, but no mm. one else knew it except one person? And mm. he was a little afraid of it. He didn't like to use it. He was not ashamed of it, but a little f- afraid of it. And what if the one person in the world who knew that he had this <clears throat> ability – needed his help. So the, the the book that I've that I'm writing now is about someone who has that ability, is frightened by it, has only told one person in the world, his best friend, that he has it. And one day his best friend comes to him and says, Look, I know you've got this. Uh, and they've never spoken about it. <clears throat> you know, the guy knows but he's respected the fact that um that his friend doesn't want it known but his college-age daughter is missing, mm. and he wants his best friend with this ability to help him find the daughter. So that's the setup of the book. I, I'm only nice. about maybe maybe close to halfway done, and don't ask me what's going to happen because I don't know. As you know, I don't do it that way. <clears throat> but 
that's what I do is I set up situations like that and ask myself what's going to happen. And writing the book is the way for me to answer that question. And so, um, and it was really based on years and years ago when I, I only wrote nonfiction books and magazine articles. <clears throat> I was introduced to a woman who um, who was a, a housewife, and and she <clears throat> found that um, she had this ability, ESP, and she worked with the police <clears throat> out in California um, so, to solve crimes. And she wanted to do a book, and <clears throat> an agent put us together, and I went out there to California to um, interview her. Her name is Pam Coronado, and I, she, she used to have a TV show for a while, and she explained to me how, <clears throat> how it worked for her. And I was mm-hmm. always fascinated because, you know, you can be a skeptic, or I, I'm a skeptic of everything, and yet I think anything mm-hmm. is possible. That's right. And so <clears throat> talking to her, it was so logical how she did it, and she had success. I mean, there was, you know, the, she had success with the cops, uh, finding bodies and stuff like that. So um, I've always been interested in that, and that was the seed, and, and that was planted probably 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, that I did that. So these things, and, and writers will tell you that, you never know when something that's planted years and years ago is going to pop up and interest you, and you're going to use it in a book. So that's the that's the next thing I'm working on. And where can everybody get all of them? And um, let me tell you that my when I when I'm done with the book, um, I have a stack inside. I'm going to my dermatologist on Monday just to give him a bag of books, <laughs> uh-huh. and yours goes in it because his wife wants all my books. Good, good. I'm glad someone, you know, recycling books is great. <clears throat> I had a um, a launch at um, Mysterious Bookshop the other night, mm-hmm. and they sold out every book, but they're getting new ones in. So people can get That's it from fantastic. Mysterious Bookshop. Um, they can get it Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or um, they're, they're, any bookstore can order the book because it's Ingram. And, um, you know, and, and I have a website, charlessalsberg.com, and... Uh, you know, I, I I love it when I get you know someone that I don't know gets in touch with me, which which is happening lately. Um, and so you know, if you want to find books, you really can. But I'm really glad that you recycle them and that someone else gets to read these books. Yeah, it happened that my dermatologist a book about three or four months ago called me up for no reason. He said, "You haven't been here." I said, "I'm sorry if you miss me so much." He's great, and he said, "My wife would like all of your books." She reads, but she needs them for her five bookshelves that can hold about 10,000 books. Right, right, So right. in order to come to visit him on Monday, I'm not a, if, I don't, if, I, if I don't have at least one book in my hand, they won't talk to me. <laughs> and, I never have to, and I don't have to wait ever. Good Which for you. I was the judge of the Edgars once for the best novel, mm-hmm. and I had, this is no, no exaggeration, almost 600 hardcover books here. And I've given away probably 400 of them so far. That is great. I wish I could give away a few copies of Accusations, too. But I start my tour next Monday mm-hmm. with Partners in Crime. And I'm going to be with you on the, uh, on the 11th. I look forward to That's that. That's right. And who knows what's, what I'm going to think of next, because I never know what I'm going to do. And I'm very nervous, because it's mostly reviews they're doing. And we'll hope mm-hmm. they like it. But everyone, this has been fun. Charles, I'm waiting for Amazon 
to notify me because I did give you your first five stars this morning. Oh, thank o'clock. you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Somebody's uh, got to right, do thank it. You so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Fran. And it, I'll speak to you pleasure. in a couple of weeks. Anytime. It's so much fun. Everybody have a great day. This is Fran Lewis. This is Book Talk. And this talk book is Men on the Run, and you definitely want to get a copy. Have a great day, and bye. Thanks, Fran.